Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. This podcast forms part of our short series on putting people at the heart of climate action and what climate justice can mean for business. During this conversation, I am joined by Kinry Webb. Kinry focuses us on tropical forests from around the world, where she has been honing ways of better supporting the people who live, work and make their livelihoods with them. Kinry is founder of Health in Harmony and the author of Guardians of the Trees, alongside being the winner of the UN Momentum for Change Climate Action Award in 2020. This conversation is much more than simply save the trees. It examines the complexities and knock-on effects of doing so, pragmatically sharing ways for business and others to preserve forests and the people that rely on them. So Kinnery, welcome. So Kinnery, I wanted to start our conversation today to understand a little bit more about the journey that you've been on that has led you to develop Health in Harmony. So I have a rather unusual path. When I was an undergraduate, I thought I was going to be a primatologist and be like Jane Goodall. So I went to Borneo, to deep into the rainforest to study orangutans. I thought this was going to be my life path. But when I got there, while I fell in love with the forest and I loved the orangutans, I was just tortured by the sound of the chainsaws in the distance. And I just felt like, what is happening here? How are we, how, how, can, how can this be a world where we are losing these incredibly precious ecosystems, so important for the orangutans, but also so important for the health of the whole planet? And it's just being logged around me. And I thought, these must be terrible, evil people. But I got to know many of these loggers, and I discovered that they were often logging to pay for healthcare or their very most basic needs. And as I began to understand also the history of our planet and how resources has, have really been taken from the global south for so long and really continuing now, um, that of course they had so few resources for that reason. And we're often in this horrible catch-22. One man I know cut down 60 giant rainforest trees to pay for a C-section. And I had a C-section this year. And I you know, know that my family would have done whatever it took to be able to get me that care. And I don't want anyone to ever have to be in that horrible position where they have to destroy their long-term well-being, not only their long-term well-being, but the long-term well-being of the whole planet in order to access their short-term health and well-being. And so I actually decided to go to medical school. I founded uh, two nonprofits, one in the United States called Health in Harmony and one in Indonesia called Alam Sehat Lestari with an amazing crew of other folks in Indonesia. And then, you know, we do what I call radical listening, which is we listen to the communities, these rainforest communities, and we ask them as the experts 
what are the solutions and what would they need as a thank you from the world community to be able to protect this precious rainforest and thrive themselves. And we have found that it's a very simple innovation. I mean, it's kind of absurdly like obvious, just ask the people who are closest to the problem what the solutions are, but remarkably unusual in both the conservation world and the kind of development context to really center in a very anti-colonial way, those who have been harmed the most, but also who have the best solutions. And then we implement precisely those solutions. And surprise, surprise, it works stunningly well. <laughs> so yeah, that's how, I, that's how I got there. And now we work actually just not only in Indonesia, but also Madagascar and Brazil. Wow. Oh, exciting, but also amazing story, Kinnery. Thank you. And the title of this podcast with Business by Poverty. And so if you were perhaps, I don't know, standing in an elevator or able to have your kind of like little pitch to a business leader about how or why they should put people at the heart of their climate action, what would you say to them? I would say that there is no climate solution without business leaders. That we are true, this is the decisive decade. We are at this key point in history. In fact, the people who are alive today are probably the most important people in all of human history and in all of human future because it, we are the ones who determine whether or not there will be a future. And we can't do it without business. So businesses must, absolutely must, if you care about the future of this planet, if you care about the future of your children, if you care about your own future, because boy, climate change is coming at us with incredible speed, then we have to find solutions that are sustainable. But that word sustainable is not really what I mean. I mean regenerative. I mean creating a more positive world than we currently have, not just holding the line for how bad it is right now, right? And I know that the world does care about this. 70% of Americans believe in climate change and want something to happen about it. So, but often Consumers, and I think this is the greatest problem actually, consumers don't know how to make choices because there's no transparency in the supply chains. So what I would beg you as business leaders, know your own supply chains, like know it really well and make it great and then show your customers. I promise you, they will reward you. Well, great advice there. Thank you so much for sharing. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit more in terms of your advice to how to overcome these quite difficult challenges. You know, the fact of climate change has been understood for quite some time, and yet it seems so difficult to take action and so difficult to really put people at that that centre of, of taking that action. How do we overcome this these challenges of bringing people and planet together and, and really address this challenge? Well, I think part of the problem is honestly a lack of hope, you know, is a lack of belief that change is possible. I, I know from in my own life that that was the case. And it was only 
in working with these communities in Borneo and, and having the honor to, you know, be partnered with them in this great change that they brought about uh, in partnership with resources from the global north, right? When I saw that how quickly change could happen and so profoundly, suddenly it motivated me intensely that I had to work actually on a global scale. Because if that kind of change is possible, then we all have to act incredibly fast if we just have to do it because it's possible, right? So I'll give you an example. I just tell you this story around Konopalung. So I told you we do this thing called radical listening. We listen to the communities about what the solutions are. And think about what it would mean, to, as I tell this story, to listen to your customers, right? To listen to your employees. So we said, what would you all need as a thank you from the world community to protect this forest? They said healthcare access and organic farming training. Now, these were very poor communities. As an outsider, I look at them, I see millions of problems. But they say, no, these two things, we change these, everything else will change. And they were right. Ten years later, there's a 90% drop in logging households across the board improvements in health, including a 67% drop in infant mortality. And you have a stabilization of the loss of the primary forest and 52,000 acres of rainforest growing back. Now, if you look at the amount of, you know, thank yous that the world gave, it was about $5.2 million. So that's a lot of money over 10 years, but it provided health care for a population of about 120,000 people, organic farming training, goats for widows, chainsaw buyback with small business, starting small businesses. There was a lot of stuff and reforestation that we did with that. But, and it included building a huge medical center for $2 million. Okay. But in return, when you looked at the amount of carbon just in the in that primary forest I was talking about, that was not lost, right? So the averted carbon loss compared to other national parks, these communities gave back $65 million worth of carbon. And that didn't count the below ground carbon. It didn't count all that forest they told you grew back. So there's this incredible, in, in thinking about sort of this mutual gift giving around the world, these communities were giving back so much more. And of course, rainforest is not just carbon. It's half the world's biodiversity. It's amazing water cycling all around the world. It's sacred beauty. It's, these are just some of the most amazing rainforests, most precious ecosystems on the planet, right? So if we do mutual gift giving around the world, we can really, truly transform things very quickly. And business leaders have the capacity to do that profoundly. And I just, I just want you all to hear that the folks who are closest to the problem know what the solutions are, and that can transform everything. Clearly, it's, it's a really emotive story, but from a sort of very matter-of-fact kind of business speak, I mean, is that kind of carbon credit type trading that you're advocating for is it much deeper than that and then and then kind of building on that is there you talked about radical transparency and and sort of really putting understanding what the people are sort of saying but how how else can businesses and therefore the people within businesses actually take action to create these solutions and be part of these solutions okay so let's talk about carbon trading i 
do think there is a very clear role for carbon trading. And I have some friends in Indonesia who do some, you know, really great work with it. And I know it has been done under certain contexts in a good way. But I have to tell you that I am extremely wary of actually reducing the value of these precious rainforests by just acting as though they are only carbon, because they are not. The biodiversity, the water cycling, this, you know, these, the fact that these communities often call them their, their mother, right? You can't just turn into a carbon value. And I worry about actually losing value when you do that. So I am actually advocating for what I call mutual gift giving. It's, it's an indigenous practice of, of reciprocity, of understanding that we all have something to give to the solution. It isn't about charity. It's about recognizing that um, rainforest communities all over the world are, are like this, this line. They're ho- they are holding the safety and survival of our whole planet because we will not make it without our rainforests. And it is appropriate for the world to thank them. And in thanking them, allow them to be the full protectors that they want to be. So that's, I see it more in that way. Cool. So everybody listening, take note. We need to find a way to create more mutual gift giving and reciprocity. It's super important. Canara, you're sitting clearly in a position to be able to see, quite frankly, things that others can't, whether it's because of the locations with which you're working, the organizations and communities with which you're working. What trends are you seeing that perhaps others aren't aware of that you really want to share with us today? One of the biggest trends that I see is people are starting to get it, like starting to get it in their souls, that all of our well-beings are intertwined, that the well-being of communities around a rainforest in Madagascar or Brazil or Borneo matters to your well-being, that in a horrible way, the pandemic taught us that in a really profoundly deep way. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you will not be insulated. If we are not all thriving, none of us are thriving. And I've been trying to illustrate that point and teach that point for the last 20 years, but I would say only in the last few years do I see people really truly getting it. The other trend that I see that I feel like is just a little seed, it is just beginning, but it is a very, very important seed. And this is transparency, as you called it, radical transparency in the supply chain, right? To truly understand where things are coming from, how they're created, and how they could be recreated, how Everything that is made could be used again in some way. You know, that is possible. We, we can do it. And I have done radical listening among, you know, people in the West. And what I hear is this desire to know this. You know, imagine a little QR code on each object that you could just scan and it would tell you about all the details about where this thing came from and how it was made and 
and how happy the people were who made it and then what it's going to what's going to happen at the next stage of its life i want that and i know many other people do so please i'm asking you <laughs> as business leaders can you create this for us no pressure there everybody <laughs> No pressure. I'll do it. Um, Canary, we're we're recording this podcast around the time of COP26 in 2001. So kind of Glasgow, the world is descending. And my question for you is what would be your kind of key messages to COP, but also what's kind of next for you? What's sort of your kind of next key actions? Well, you know, our team is actually going to COP. I'm not because I have a brand new baby, but uh, the rest of the team is going. And, and we're bringing two folks from Brazil as well to go. Uh, Juma, is, she's also an indigenous leader there. She's coming. And Marcelo, who's a, an amazing Brazilian activist and, and leader that we have the honor to get to work with. So we, we have a very strong message. And that message is is not just from us. It's from many, many people around the world. They're really understanding that we cannot move forward on this planet without a very without shifting this colonial attitude. And we need to put indigenous communities and rainforest communities in the driver's seat. They need to be the ones whose wisdom we are following and whose knowledge about how to protect ecosystems that if we don't have them, we won't make it. You know, I I hear people always talking about, oh, we need to invent, you know, systems for pulling down CO2 from the atmosphere and storing it. And and it's like, well, we already have those. We already have that amazing machine. And not only that, this amazing machine is self-replicating. It's called a tree. And (laughs) it was invented over millions and millions of years of evolution. And these, we need to protect our trees and we need to honor them and we need to regrow many more. And it is the primarily the rainforest communities, indigenous and traditional communities who are already doing that, could do it to an even greater extent if they had more support. And, you know, calling out, you know, the extractive industries and you know, and those who don't know where the supply chain is coming from to or know but are ignoring it, that there can be no deforestation in supply chains. It just has to stop now. Absolutely stop. There's it can that we just don't have a choice anymore. There can be no more deforestation. In fact, we need to reverse. My final question for our conversation today. What would be your advice to someone who's trying to make impact in this space too? My advice would be that every single person has something to give to the solution. And I I am not kidding about that, right? I 100% believe this. And it is not about you doing something that you don't love. It is about doing exactly what you love, but doing it in alignment with your soul doing it in a way that enhances your thriving and the world's thriving. And I know in my own life, when I have had the courage to dare to do something that felt so scary, but moved more in alignment, or was a huge amount of work, and I just was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do that. 
when I did it, when I dared to risk, the benefits were so overwhelming and so surprising that I just always look back and go, what was I thinking to be scared to make that move? So I know that each person, if you look deep in your soul, you know that there are ways that you are not in alignment. Can you shift those? Are you willing to shift? Are you willing to take the big risks? And I know that in every possible way, in the deepest, truest sense of that way, you will be rewarded. Well, Kinnery, on those words, I'm going to close our conversation today. I feel like we could talk for a long time, but thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your insights and your important messages with us today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And yeah, may those who have ears to hear, may they hear. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 